In a year defined by flops, from Roma to Jussie Smollett, from Vice to Russian collusion, the Academy still gives out its top prizes to the leftist narrative. We will analyze the biggest fails of 2018 and early 2019. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. All right, we've got to dole out the Knowlesies, the biggest prizes for narrative fails in 2018 and 2019. But first, let's make a little money, honey, with Lending Club. Oh, if you are carrying revolving debt, that means you are not paying off your card every month. And you could be paying thousands in interest every year that you don't have to. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to the bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself, tell them how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Check your rate in minutes, borrow up to 40 G's. That's LendingClub.com slash Knowles. LendingClub.com slash Knowles. Do not allow yourself to waste money, be caught up paying off high interest credit cards when you could be managing your finances a smarter way. Check it out, lendingclub.com slash Knowles. All loans made by Web Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. The, the leftist narrative is falling apart here from politics up through the culture, all the way up through the left's religion, which is global warming. And it's all happening right now at the same time, coincidentally, right at awards season. And we will get to the Oscars, but first, we have got to get to the greatest scene that I have seen in any medium, film, television, social media, the greatest scene of the whole year, shockingly, unexpectedly care of, Diane Feinstein. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Oh, please. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all You know for what's the interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I hear what you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your job. How old are you? I'm 16. I can't vote. you didn't vote for me. I'm 24. It doesn't matter. We're the ones getting impacted. (laughs) Devastating. And it actually only gets worse for those those exploitative uh, adults and that teenager and those kids. Because Dianne Feinstein doesn't miss a beat. First of all, the girl is wrong. The teenager is wrong. She says, your job is to do exactly what we tell you to do. That's not true. We have a representative republic. We don't have a a direct democracy. It is not the job of these people to do exactly according to exact polling data, 50% plus one of people want this, so we have to do it. That's not the purpose of a congressional representative. We elect people to go to Congress 
for their judgment. And then they use their judgment regardless, hopefully, in the best case scenario, regardless of what public opinion polls say. But then Dianne Feinstein won't even hear it. She just goes, where are the people who voted for you? How old are you? Well, I'm 16. Mm, You didn't vote for me. Boom. Done. I love this. I mean, this reminds me, obviously, of Lindsey Graham 2.0 or Lindsey Grambo. We're seeing this with Dianne Feinstein. I don't know what her cool Sylvester Stallone nickname is going to be. But You know, we often hear, oh, the senators are so old. Oh, they're so old. They can't pot. We need young blood, younger people. No, Uh uh-uh. The minimum age for senators should be about 90, I think. I love this. If older incumbent senators are giving us Grambo and and new Feinstein, good. Have the minimum age be 100. And and actually, this this is a half-serious point because... This is the leftist narrative. You know, the left gets everything backwards. We talk about this all the time. And for the left, children have greater moral teaching authority than adults. For the, you know, in reality, when you're a little kid, you think like a little kid. And then when you're a teenager, you think a little bit clearer. You have a little bit more access to reason. You've got a little bit more education, but you still basically know nothing. Then you go to college. You still basically know nothing, but you're learning a little bit. You're thinking a little more deeply. Maybe in your 20s, you're formulating some ideas. Again, not a ton of experience of the world. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm in my 20s. That's why I try to have a little bit of awe and humility when it comes to uh, the, the vast tradition, when it comes to our intricate system of politics. As you get older, you increase in wisdom. You grow in wisdom. That's a virtue of time. For the left, they think it's exactly the opposite. They think that as people get older, they get stupider. They get less educated. They become less wise. They become less mature. I know this is by definition not possible, but the left doesn't let itself get tied up with silly little things like logic and and the definitions of words. So for the left, really, a, a, a group of little children is the font of wisdom. This is why the left exploits kids all the time. When they're not killing them on tables an hour after they're born, the left exploits children immediately. You saw this in the, uh, that video during the election of all these kids saying foul-mouthed language. F this, F that. And they put them on camera to show how fired up the little kids were. You see all the time, they bring these kids to the rallies. They're, you, F Trump, F this. Then you say they bring them into the office as though, what do these kids know about global warming? If we're we're to be told that global warming is settled science, don't you think you'd bring some scientists in rather than little children? They say, stop politicizing science and listen to these little children. Mm, That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I mean, really shame on these adults because they're doing two, they're exploiting the kids for one putting them on camera when they shouldn't be on camera, making them famous when they, when they should know better than, than to do that. And then they're terrifying these kids. I mean, these kids very well might believe that they're all going to be dead in 12 years. These kids very well might believe that global warming is going to kill all of them within 12 years. They're terrifying these little kids. For what? Nobody's going to be dead in 12 years because of global warming. Nada. Nobody. Ain't going to happen. I'll, let's make a bet right now. Any amount of money. You write it in, put it in in the comments, write it in, tweet at me. I'm happy to take that bet with anybody. Of course, no one would seriously make that bet, including these shameless adults who are exploiting the kids because it's not about protecting the environment. It's not about protecting people. It's never about protecting kids. It's about taking power. It's about implementing socialism. That's why the Green New Deal, ostensibly about the environment, so urgent, we have to do it right now, 
gives us socialist health care, rebuilds every edifice in the country, has government takeovers of industry, has a universal basic income for some. Why is all that? Because it's all just about seizing power for socialism. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did not like this uh, video of Dan Feinstein smacking around these, these uh, exploitative adults and these kids. So she, for some reason, videotaped herself cooking again because she's a serious person. And uh, she gave uh, her latest urgent plea for the Green New Deal, a performance of the year. Our planet is going to make disaster if we don't turn this ship around. And so it's basically like there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. You know, should, is it okay to still have children? And I mean, not just financially, because people are graduating with 20, 30, $100,000 worth of student loan debt. And so they can't even afford to have kids in a house. But also just this basic moral question, like what do we do? And, and even if you don't have kids, there are still children here in the world and we have a moral obligation to them uh, to leave a better world for them. Mm. Uh, the ch- of course, not to belabor the point, but when you have a sitting Democrat governor calling for killing children after they're born, when you have another Democrat governor calling for killing children as they're being born and taking away protections if they are killed while they are being born, if they're murdered while they're being born, then you have to raise the question, how much does the left really care about children? And, and listen, this is the mark that something has gone really wicked in your politics. This is always the mark. Uh, this is the mark throughout history. When you want to stop creating children or begetting children, when you want to cut off life, when you want to cut off life at birth, when you want to cut off life at the end through euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide, legalizing suicide, when you want there to be fewer people, when you say it's moral for there to be fewer people, when you say we have overpopulation, when you say any number of excuses to squeeze off human life, that is the sign that your politics has delved into something wicked. And that's what she's talking about. I've heard people say this. They say, well, we can't bring kids into this world because the world is so terrible. There's so, there's global warming. And then they say we can't bring kids into this world because it'll cause global warming. Well, which is it? It's just, it's a conclusion looking for an argument. And that's, that's a, I don't know if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is even remotely conscious enough to realize that, but she is being used by fairly wicked ideologies. And then she, and then she is using uh, these ideologies in, in a really manipulative way. Whenever politicians say, think of the children, you know that you are dealing with a demagogue. This, there is only one exception to this, which is when politicians are actually calling for the slaughter of babies an hour after they're born, as is happening now. But when they talk in the abstract, say, think of the children, you are dealing with a demagogue. And AOC is silent, by the way, on the killing of children. But that's what this is about. This is about demagoguery, and it is about exploiting and terrifying kids to destroy our Republican system of government, which is what will happen. That's what the Green New Deal does. It destroys our Republican system of government. And she makes this point 
even more acutely. She makes this point even more on the nose, but quickly. Because I, I actually, this video in particular, the last week or so, has me doubting whether AOC is actually a good politician. I've really defended her political chops. I think she's just taken a wrong turn. We'll get to why in a second, but first, oh, you know how much I love my purple mattress. You know this. I talk about it all the time. Purple mattress is unlike any other mattress you've ever slept on. It is, uh, it's not quite a memory foam. It's not quite an inner spring. It's this unique type of mattress developed by a rocket scientist. It's, it's both firm and soft at the same time. How is that possible? I can't really tell you. It just is. I was very skeptical when I first heard about Purple Mattress. They sent me one. So I don't even know, honestly, if I want to use this. It's, uh, it's just a weird sounding thing. I said, no, I, I really should try it. It's going to be a sponsor. I should try it. I, it took one night and I was hooked. I love this mattress so much. It is so by far the greatest mattress I've ever slept on. I go on the road a lot. You know, I give these speeches at colleges and I, the first thing I miss is my purple mattress and then my wife. No, that's not true. I miss my wife first. I miss sleeping next to my, but with the purple's up there though. You know, the purple is really close. It's fabulous. hundred night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund back by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns, free in-home setup, and old mattress removal. You're going to love it. Right now, my listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That is in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text COFEFE to 84888. It's the only way to get this free pillow. Text COFEFE, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, to 84888. That is C-O-V-F-E-F-E to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. I'm beginning to seriously doubt if AOC is a good politician. Uh, The reason, so I'll actually, I'll just show you what started to make me wonder, and maybe you'll be able to get it too, uh, a little bit later in that exact same clip. This idea that if we just, you know, I've been working on this for X amount of years, um, it's like not good enough. Like we need a universal sense of urgency and people are trying to like introduce watered down proposals that are frankly going to kill us. They're going to kill us. Actually, and it's not that the the conservatives are going to kill us. It's that Democrats who also ostensibly believe in global warming, who also are trying to regulate industry to stop certain types of pollution or whatever, that's probably not actually going to do that, but that's ostensibly the purpose of it. Those politicians are the ones who are going to kill us. Democrats are the ones who are going to kill us. The left is what's going to kill us, according to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Dianne Feinstein talking to those kids, she could have been talking straight to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She said, you know, when you come running in here, you who know nothing, you who are perfectly ignorant, come running in here and you scream and you yell and you say, my way or the highway, I don't respond very well to that. And it's not just Dianne Feinstein, it's not just senators. We, the American people, don't respond very well to that. When you come in, When you make, by the way, she has a demonstrable record of egregious errors. She knows nothing. She doesn't even know how taxes work. She thought that a $3 billion tax incentive in her district was, meant that there was $3 billion sitting around that the city of New York was just going to hand over to Amazon. She doesn't know what taxes are. It's the main function of Congress, right? Raise money and spend money. She doesn't even know that. And she's coming in here and saying, I understand the world. 
I understand everything in the material world. I understand the most complex system we can possibly even imagine on earth. And I can predict to the year when that system and why is going to end all of human life. And it's in a dozen years. And if you don't do exactly what I tell you to do, you are evil and you're responsible for the destruction of humanity. That's what she's saying. Now she sounds here, obviously in this clip, she doesn't sound smart. She says, and, um, and like, like, and tee hee, and like, 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 bop, 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 bop. It's both inarticulate and ignorant. But who cares? Maybe that's good politics among millennials who talk like that too. Maybe. I don't think it is. I don't talk like that. I don't think it's, I don't want to degrade myself to talk like that. And I don't think other people should too. But maybe it could be good politics, except I know, I'm no longer certain that she's this brilliant politician. People compare her to Trump. They say AOC is just like Trump. They both speak in a sort of lower level manner in public. They both are very good at manipulating the media. They're both very good at riling up their bases. Okay, maybe, except Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a professional activist who was, according to voter records, living with her parents as recently as two and a half years ago. Donald Trump is a billionaire who's built a ton of businesses, who has dominated the most difficult industries in the world for 40 years. Television, New York real estate, casinos, politics. Obviously, he ran for one political office in his whole life, and he won it on the first try, the most powerful office in the history of the world. Not much of a comparison. The other thing is, AOC is choosing issues that are very unpopular. Open borders, 70%, 80% tax rates, spending $40 trillion, outlawing planes, trains, and automobiles, and knocking down people's houses, printing money out of nowhere. Those are not popular issues. President Trump chooses popular issues. Border security, strong economy, job creation. Those are very popular issues. And now she's making this really difficult uh, play, which is to alienate all of her potential allies. What allies does she have? Her first action as an elected congresswoman was to invade Nancy Pelosi's office and protest about global warming. Now she's going after Dianne Feinstein. Now she's going after all. She's really alienating a lot of allies. And you're seeing pushback now. You're seeing pushback from Democrats who are realizing that democratic socialism, as they call it, socialism in all of its forms, is probably not working. This narrative isn't doing very well among the American people. The Democrats are realizing maybe socialism is not a winning issue. Now you hear Kamala Harris is changing her tune. She was calling for the abolition of our entire healthcare system not one month ago. And now she's saying, I'm not a Democrat socialist. Who said I was a, no, not me. I'm, com- no, no, no. You misunderstood. I'm a Democrat socialist. I'm, no, now you heard it was a mistake. No, no, no. I'm just a progressive is what she's now saying. She's changing her tune. And Kamala Harris, by the way, is the weather vane of 2020. She's probably leading the pack right now. She has the most similarities to Hillary, even that horrific laugh. And she has the most to lose. So she's really playing it very soon. No, I, I want to abolish the U.S. healthcare system. No, no, I didn't really mean that. I am, am embracing the policies of democratic socialism. Oh, no, 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 I didn't, didn't really mean that. She's the weather vane. So you watch her to see where the field is shaking out. A lot of polls show that Americans are warming up to socialism. And this is, this is certainly true among uh, Democrats and millennials. Democrats and millennials, but I repeat myself, have a, a warmer view of socialism than they do of capitalism. 
And so the polls show us, this Gallup shows us this. I'm not so sure it's happening in real life. And I think the evidence of this is Kamala Harris. The evidence of this is uh, not just Kamala Harris, by the way. Not only are the candidates backing off, even the DNC chairman, Tom Perez, who said that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat socialist, is, quote, the future of our party. Listen to how he's talking about socialism now. How do you defend against President Trump's charge and, and effort to, to portray the Democratic Party, your tax and spend policies as socialist? This is one of the oldest tricks in the playbook, Chris. You go back 75 years when Republicans don't want to uh, discuss the issues that matter to real people. They call it socialism. Social Security, when it was being debated, you had Republicans calling it socialism. The minimum wage in 1938, you had Republicans calling it socialism. Medicare, Ronald Reagan said, and I quote, Medicare will lead to socialized medicine. Medicare will lead to socialism in America. The Affordable Care Act, the Children's Health Insurance Program, all of those things were socialism, socialism. Why do they do that? Because they're wrong on the issues. They don't want to talk about pre-existing conditions. We're right on that issue. We want to make sure if you're diabetic, you can keep your coverage. They don't want to. So they change the subject. And okay. that's what they do. <laughs> talk about projection. You just changed the subject. Chris Wallace asked you how you're going to defend against charges of socialism. You called a socialist the future of your party. Your darling of the Democrat congressman is a self-described socialist. Uh, one of the leaders of the pack for the presidential race, at least on paper, I don't think he'll really win, is a self-described socialist. There were 40 candidates, run over 40 candidates in 2018, running as Democrats with the backing of the Democratic Socialists. You had candidates all across the country embrace socialism, and now every presidential candidate for the Democrats is embracing the Green New Deal, which is, by definition, socialism. It's the government taking over industries. It's the government ta ta put instituting tax rates of 70, 80%. It's the government printing money out of nowhere, $40 trillion of costs, taxing people when they can't tax anymore. They just pull the money out of thin air. You're the one who's using the word socialism, and then you have to change the subject because you can't defend it. So, so he says, well, you know, Republicans are always calling us socialist. No, no, no. You're calling yourself socialist. And then you realized that that's not a winning strategy. So you're trying to pretend that you didn't, but you did. And you are. And by the way, he uses this example. He says, you know, Reagan said Medicare would lead to socialism. Show me the lie. <laughs> Reagan was exactly right. In fact, the socialist healthcare policy that is now being advocated by virtually every Democrat presidential candidate, I actually, I think all of them is called Medicare for all. It is saying, oh yeah, uh, that Medicare was a pretty good plat, uh, a baseline for socialism. So now we're going to apply that to everybody and then we'll have full socialist health care. Now, look, we have to be grateful. This is a good sign that this is cracking up. In the old days, Democrats would lie and they would say, we're, no, we're not really socialists. Then within the last two years, they've said, no, 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 we are socialists. Socialism is a good word. And now it's swinging back again. They say, mm, Maybe that was a little too bold. Maybe we revealed ourselves a little too much. Maybe that narrative is running up against reality. And nowhere is the left-wing narrative running up against reality more than in the Russia collusion hoax. Adam Schiff, the biggest spokesman for this, this non-troversy, is now all but admitting that. Uh, CNN, all but admitting collusion didn't really happen. They're setting the stage for the next scene. We will get to that. And then we will get to the literal narratives that are breaking apart in the t 
terrible movies of 2018, the awards shows, the Spirit Awards, the Oscars, and why Roma is, is why it's getting all of this hype, even though it's a simply terrible movie that I actually watched this morning. But first, tonight, tune in to our next episode of Daily Wire Backstage, where we will be talking about everyone's favorite award show. Daily Wire God King, Jeremy Boring, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, Alicia Krause, and little old me will be smoking stogies, drinking whiskey, and laughing at the dumpster fire known as Hollywood's most important night. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions, so make sure to subscribe today. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get the Matt Walsh Show, you get Desk Questions in the Mailbag coming up on Thursday, you get Desk Questions backstage, you get Another Kingdom, you get a ton of stuff. And you get this. I even, I took the lid off so I could get an even better, mm. That is the smell of narratives breaking down. That's what it sounds like. All culminating on the night that celebrates narratives, the Oscars. We will get to all of it in just a second. Make sure you have your Tumblr ready. We will be right back. Nowhere has a leftist narrative flopped more than on the Russia collusion hoax. Here is Adam Schiff, obviously a current Democrat hack, speaking to George Stephanopoulos, who pretends he's not a Democrat hack. Now, George Stephanopoulos, chief political guy over at ABC News, Network News. Uh, George Stephanopoulos is a career Democrat operative. He was the communications director for the Clintons in the White House. And here they're, they're speaking, oh, it's just, just a congressman talking to a journalist. Even Schiff is spinning his wheels because the Russia collusion narrative is falling apart. Do you have any evidence at all that the president colluded? George, there's ample evidence of collusion uh, of the campaign, and it's very much in the public record. Uh, And it's everything from what we have seen recently about Paul Manafort meeting with someone linked to Russian intelligence and sharing polling data and not top line data, not this is why we think Trump is going to win data, but raw data, complicated data. Uh, We've seen uh, evidence of Roger Stone in communication with WikiLeaks, we've seen the president's son having a secret meeting at Trump Tower uh, that was presented to him as part of the Russian government's effort to help the Trump campaign. Uh, his acceptance of that help is interest in getting that. All of this is evidence of collusion, and there's much, much more. Whether that will amount to uh, a criminal conspiracy that can be proved beyond a reasonable doubt, we will have to wait uh, for Bob Mueller to tell us. But to, to not see what is plainly in front of us uh, means you, you basically don't want to see the evidence of collusion because it is quite abundant. In a sense, Adam Schiff is right. To not see all of the evidence that is plainly in front of us, the evidence of collusion which is abundant, is absurd. And there is a lot of evidence in front of us. We know for a fact that the Democrat Party and the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Obama DOJ colluded with foreign intelligence, specifically Russian. That evidence is called the Steele dossier. We know it happened. We know that the Democrats and the Hillary campaign paid Fusion GPS to use a foreign intelligence analyst, to use intelligence contacts in Russia, to compile the Steele dossier, which was then passed along to the Obama DOJ, it was used as a pretext, a flimsy pretext, to spy on the Trump campaign. We know that that collusion happened. That is in the public record. 
That is the only evidence of collusion that we have. It's not collusion between Trump and Russia. It's evidence of collusion between the Democrats and the federal government and Russia. Now, Adam Schiff, you see how he shifts there at the end. He says, now, now, whether that will, uh, will lead to criminal conspiracies or that, we don't know. We are not so sure about that. Mm, okay, you're kind of moving the goalposts here. I thought we had two years of investigations because you were going to throw Trump in the clink. You were going to, there was some crime that was committed. If there's no crime that was committed, why are we investigating this at all? And it's really not looking good for Schiff. The Senate Intelligence Committee concluded its investigation on Russian collusion. No evidence of any nefarious activities between Trump and Russia. That's not just according to the Republicans on the committee. That's according to the Democrats as well. We have Bob Mueller just today released an 800-page report on Paul Manafort. I haven't gotten to read the whole report yet. Just happened before the show. According to analysis of that report, there is no mention of Trump or collusion or Russia. There's no evidence. There's nothing in, in that report. You would expect if collusion were real, if this hoax were real, if it were to be found, it would be found in the Manafort file. Manafort was the link, remember? Manafort had all these shady connections to Russia and, and Russian interests in Ukraine, and he was brought in by Trump to collude with it. Remember all that? But it's not in the Manafort report. Where else would it be? Maybe in Roger Stone. Are they getting Roger Stone on colluding with Russia? No, here's even CNN admitting this. If a collusion conspiracy case is to be made, you'd think that Roger Stone would factor in it but he wasn't indicted for that. He was indicted for these so-called process crimes. You can say, okay, well, the feds can charge successively. But now comes word that Mueller is finishing up. So doesn't the absence of additional indictments against Stone suggest, as the president would say, no collusion? Well, it does. I mean, you, you have to you know, call them as, as you see them. There is no evidence thus far of collusion uh, between the Trump campaign or President Trump and the Russians in hacking these computer systems. And moreover, it's, it's really quite unlikely, right? Would, if you were a KGB spy master, would you really collude with Donald Trump and put yourself one tweet away from destruction on perhaps the most secret operation in its, its, its recent history? Of course, it's laughable. It was always laughable. That's why I've been referring to it as Boris and Natasha, Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's cartoonish, the image that they've presented of Donald Trump and, and the Russian government. Now, CNN is admitting that. This, it, they're starting to shift. They have to shift because this Mueller report is going to come out. The indictments against Manafort for whatever, buying nice suits in the 90s, this, these indictments against Roger Stone for, I don't know, telling some lie at some point in his life, which he brags about doing. That, that's going to come out and then you're going to see that Donald Trump is not Boris and Natasha and then they're going to have egg on their face. So they're starting to pivot now. Schiff is trying to pivot now. He's saying, oh, well, no, no, no. Uh, the, the very fact that uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, Jeff Sessions talked to a Russian once on the intelligence. Uh, the, 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 there's just, there is evidence. It's just, it's out there. It's, we all know it. It's out there. Forget, don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. In a broader sense, the greatest obstacle for conservatives is the people are constantly trying to screw everything up. We have something good going. 
but nothing gold can stay. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Then Eden, then uh, leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay, as Robert Frost said. That, that constant churning of innovation, constant churning of progress is frustrating to conservatives because people are always messing up a good thing and they don't know a good thing when they see it. The greatest advantage to conservative is that reality reasserts itself eventually. This is why Russell Kirk didn't name his book The Conservative Mind. He didn't call it The Conservative Route, which he initially wanted to, because it might be a route in the short term, but reality reasserts itself. This is the ultimate political hope and cause of hope for conservatives. And that's what we're seeing now. Reality is reasserting itself two years later, two years of these investigations. Two years, Adam Schiff babbling around, the Senate Intelligence Committee, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Andy McCabe, Paul, uh, uh, Bob Mueller, all the investigations. But eventually, you got to put up or shut up. Eventually, reality reasserts itself. And so what that's going to do, it's already doing it, I guess, is cause a major credibility problem for Democrats. They have a major credibility issue now. It's kind of like when presidents bet on the economy. President Trump has done this sometimes. They say, look at how great the economy is doing. See, the economy is doing really well, so I'm a good president. But eventually, just by the nature of economic cycles, eventually the economy is going to collapse. It's, it's a similar thing when Democrats say, look at the fantasy. Look at the narrative we've created. See, see, the narrative is internally consistent. See, you believe, believe the narrative. You can't rely on fantasy forever. And then you've got egg on your face and then you've got no credibility. It's not just shift with the credibility problem. It's all of them. Harry Reid, former Senate Majority Leader, shameless Democrat. Harry Reid is now saying, he did an interview. He said, Trump is not doing anything right. He's just so awful that he doesn't get credit for anything. He's just, everything he's done is terrible. He misses George Bush, he says. Oh, he misses the days of George Bush. He says, uh, uh, Donald Trump, or uh, he says, in hindsight, I wish every day for a George Bush again. He says, Bush was like Babe Ruth compared to President Donald Trump. He and I had our differences, but no one ever questioned his patriotism except for Harry Reid, who did question his patriotism himself. He said, President Bush is a liar. He betrayed Nevada and he betrayed the country. He said, the man's father is a wonderful human being. I think this guy's a loser. He said, Bush was the worst president of America ever. Betrayed his country. That's what he says. Now, what the, the left is relying on is that we have short memories. Maybe we do, but you'll get reminded of this. This will come back. Reality will reassert itself. They said all the same things about George Bush. They said all the same things about Ronald Reagan. Reality comes back again and again. We're seeing reality come back now. Even, you know, this was, this is so amazing. Even Fareed Zakaria, far left, CNN commentator, even he is making this point about what he calls the Democrats' dream world. In their zeal to match the sweeping rhetoric of right-wing populism, Democrats are spinning out dramatic proposals indeed, but in which facts are sometimes misrepresented, the numbers occasionally don't add up, and emotional appeal tends to trump actual policy analysis. That's right. That is what's happening. He's trying to say, oh, the right always does this, but the left shouldn't do this. Of course, 
It's the opposite. The right doesn't really, the right does it sometimes, but not much. The right has a lot of inner controls that stop it from going too far into fantasy land. For one, a lot of different competing philosophies and ideologies on the right keep people in check. On the left, it's only progressivism leading towards socialism. And even Fareed Zakaria is recognizing this problem. This is a big flop. This is a narrative cracking up. It's cracking up right around the Oscars, as good a time as any for narratives to crack up. And it's not just happening in politics. It is happening in show business, too. There, this influx of socialism, even communism on the left, this was reflected in the culture this year. Maybe it was caused by the culture. Boots Riley, he did this movie, uh, Sorry to Bother You. I said it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and it, and it is. Sorry to Bother You is a communist movie. Boots Riley, the guy who's made the movie, is a communist filmmaker, an outspoken communist. He's been a member of the Communist Party, I think, since he was 15. Or maybe he's gone in and out, but he was attracted to it since he was a young man. Boots Riley cannot admit, he's the great example of this, he can't admit that his fantasies are not jiving with reality. This is why Sorry to Bother You isn't a good movie, why it's a thin movie, it's a shallow movie, it's a cheap movie. Because it just, it's, too, it's doctrinaire, it's dogmatic. It doesn't actually speak to the human condition. Here is Boots Riley, not at the Oscars, but at the IFC Spirit Awards, the Independent Film Awards, giving his acceptance speech and defending the dictatorship, starving its people and killing its people in Venezuela. Look at how far ideology leads this guy astray. I also want to say that... The CIA is trying to have a coup in Venezuela. I haven't been watching the well, since I've been here, so they might be doing it right now. And we should all be putting our voices out to stop the U.S. from having regime change for oil in Venezuela. He's defending a brutal socialist dictator who is now killing his own people, who has starved his people for well over a year, what is it, two years now, and a regime, a socialist regime, that took one of the wealthiest countries in the world and destroyed its economy, destroyed its people, took even an oil-rich nation and wrecked it, people eating rats in the street. And this guy is defending them. This guy is saying, no, 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 forget about those starving people. No, 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 forget about reality. No, 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 we have to defend the ideology that is starving them. Because that's how committed he is to the narrative. It's why his movies are terrible, and it's why his politics are terrible. Even Bernie Sanders, even the Mac Daddy socialist in the United States, admits that socialism has failed in Venezuela. He, he tweeted this out today. He said, quote, The people of Venezuela are enduring a serious humanitarian crisis. The Maduro government must put the needs of its people first allow humanitarian aid into the country, and refrain from violence against protesters. He, Bernie Sanders, also defends Maduro. But even Bernie is admitting tacitly, implicitly, that socialism has failed in Venezuela. And the Oscars are a victim of the leftist fantasy too. The Oscars award shows. Nobody's watching it. People are tuning out. People are trying to stop these crazy political speeches. And actually, they did a better job this year. I, I did watch the Oscars. Very few people watched the Oscars. I was one of them. They had no hosts. It wasn't over. It was all kind of shallow leftist stuff, bad movies. 
Spike Lee was basically the only one who was able to sneak a political speech in there. Here he is. The word today is irony, the date, the 24th, the month, February, which also happens to be the shortest month of the year, which also happens to be Black History Month, the year 2019, the year 1619. History, her story, 1619, 2019, 400 years. Come again? <laughs> what was that? that was Spike Lee doing the worst free association slam poetry I've ever heard. Spike Lee doing his Rain Man impression there at the Oscars. 16, 20, 22, 20, 22 plus 5, 27. 27, add the numbers, done. it's 9, 9, 9, 2, no, no, it's not. Dustin Hoffman did it better than Spike Lee did. Uh, he goes on then. He goes on after he does weird free association with numbers. He goes on, on, on what should be the biggest night of his life, a, a director who is not a good film, Spike Lee is not a good filmmaker, and yet he's made himself into this political figure, so they felt they had to give him an, an Oscar. He got a pity Oscar. He got a participation trophy. He should be grateful. He should be thankful. And what does he do? He complains about everything. He, he's complaining about the, la- the mo- length of the month of February. He's complaining that it's some racist conspiracy that February only has 28 days. 30 days had September, April, June, and November, and when short February is done, all the rest have 31 because of racism or something. He goes on to rant about other things. 400 years, our ancestors were stolen from Mother Africa to, and brought to Jamestown, Virginia, enslaved. Our ancestors worked from the land from Kansas in the morning to Kansas at night. My grandmother, Zimmy Sheldon Retha, who lived to be 100 years young, who was a Spelman College graduate, even though her mother was a slave. My grandma, who saved 50 years of Social Security checks to put her first grandchild, she called me Spiky Poo. <laughs> she put me through Morehouse College and NYU grad film. <laughs> NYU. Before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who helped build this country and was today, along with the genocide of his native people. How about you? First of all, the genocide of the native people. We don't have enough time for me to get into all of the nonsense in that speech. But how about, just to start out, how about you thank the country that freed the slaves? How about you thank the country that is so great that it could give an Oscar, it could make a world-famous guy out of the great-grandson of a slave, that the daughter of a slave could go to college, that that woman could then put her grandson through a very expensive film school. Unfortunately, because he clearly didn't learn very much at that film school because he's not a very good filmmaker. And then they could give that kid a, a pity trophy because he whined enough and they felt bad for him, so they gave him an Oscar. How about you say thank you? This is the best night of your life and all you can do is whine and complain. You're a zillionaire who is not even really talented, is not even a really skilled filmmaker. You still became a zillionaire. You're you're handing gold trophies to one another. You're receiving a gold trophy. You've lived with the greatest material success of virtually anybody in all of the history of the world. Say thank you. But they can't say thank you because of the narrative. The left cannot say thank you because of the narrative. Now, the Oscars broadly, we only have a couple minutes left. Basically, this was a a better year for the Oscars than most. Why? I mean, the the movies were worse than most years. The movies were all pretty dreadful. There were some good performances out there. Rami Malek, Olivia Colman were uh, good performances. Uh, Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody did a good job. Uh, Olivia Colman did a great job in The Favorite. 
both movies kind of whatever, but, uh, but the performances were good. Roma did, uh, won Best Foreign Film and one or two other awards too. It did not take home Best Picture. Uh, uh, did, it won Best Director. I watched it this morning because this was the favorite. This was the, the it's a movie supposed to be a masterpiece. It's about a Mexican housekeeper and it's shot in black and white and it's really long and there's not a lot of dialogue and nothing really happens and but it's really so profound and so I decided to watch it this morning because I didn't want to knock it without watching it obviously. Roma is everything that's wrong with the Oscars. It's Roma is everything that's wrong with the film industry. Roma is everything that's wrong with the left's politics. Politics is down of culture. We should expect this. Roma is self-indulgent tripe. They say that nostalgia is history after a few drinks. This whole movie is just totally self-indulgent, totally pretentious nostalgia. It remi- I think the reason people like it or pretend to like it is because it's people who have never seen a good film and they think that this is what a good film is supposed to look like. You know, it's in black and white and it's really long and it's really slow and it's, did I mention it's in black and white and it's, and it's foreign and it's in foreign languages. It's pretentious, it's uncultured and it's pointless, much like the left. <laughs> a Ross Douthat at, at National Review points out the film's actually quite bourgeois. The whole point of the film, spoiler alert, but who cares, is that a, a housekeeper who was working for a basically rich family, which is the family of the filmmaker, uh, that she dedicates her whole life to serving them and that that's a good thing. It's fairly bourgeois. It's not a terribly radical movie in that way, but because it's got the patina of intersectionality, progressives like it. Ross Douthat says, if the movie were about an upper middle class white family and it's black servants in suburbia in America, they, they would be very problematic, wouldn't it? If the point of the film was that the black servant should serve the white family and that's a great thing. Uh, probably that movie wouldn't win an Oscar, but Netflix very, very cleverly made it uh, intersectionally appropriate. Now we all have to pretend that it's good. This can't go on forever. There is a cost to a shallow culture. We have this present bias where we think everything now is good, everything old is bad. We know better, we are better than all the old-timey people. It's what angsty teenagers think. Spike Lee is an angsty teenager. Oh, everything before us was terrible. It was all bad. Now we're finally maybe doing something good. Dad doesn't know anything. The trouble is the longer this persists, the harder it will be to recover the wisdom of the ages. The harder it will be to make a good movie. When was the last time we made a good movie? When was the last time we had a good innovation in politics? The longer we allow this lack of culture, this lack of education, this lack of seriousness, this ingratitude, this lack of humility, this pride to persist, the harder it will be, if not impossible, to recover the wisdom of the ages in our religion, in our culture, and in our politics. That's the, that's the message. Now, the narrative is breaking up a little bit at award season. That's good. But what comes next? We can uh, dread or we can hope for, uh, for, for something better in the future but we're going to have to take it seriously from religion to culture to politics. And are we capable of that? I'm not so sure. We'll have to find out. Check out Backstage when we're talking about the Oscars again. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you later. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Robert Sterling. 
Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about how environmentalism has become a doomsday cult. Uh, there's this apocalyptic fever that has taken over the climate alarmist, so we got to discuss that. Also, a basketball announcer has been suspended uh, for making a completely innocuous comment that disingenuous people have interpreted as racist, even though they know it's not racist. So uh, this keeps happening. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. And finally, Bill Maher is sneering at small-town Americans and doing so in a way that's embarrassing for him and shows how completely out of touch uh, he is. So we'll talk about all that today over on The Matt Walsh Show. 